Good morning, everyone. As you heard from Pastor Jennifer a moment ago, uh, you know, with people being sick, with people being away, uh, it means some of our volunteers have kind of been thrust into positions that they wouldn't ordinarily have been in, uh, which I think is great because, you know, that way everyone gets an opportunity to grow and to be stretched. Uh, and so particularly for Haley and Ella on the end here, they were today's worship leaders. Uh, you've seen them on the stage many a time before as they've sung, uh, but today they had the added stress of helping put everything together and helping kind of run the, the rehearsal during the week. So great job, ladies. Thank you for stepping up into that. Uh, yes, you can give them a hand. Um, and of course, they were, were ably supported by uh, those who are a little more experienced with being up here. I feel like sometimes Tom should probably just have a parking here at the church because you're here so often. Uh, and thank you to Louise and Carl. Uh, I know we mentioned it was Carl's first time, but actually I don't think it was your first time. It might be your first official White Rock Baptist time, but you've been up here before helping with, uh, uh, what's that thing we do? Easter, that's the one. <laughs> that was pretty embarrassing. Well, I am glad you all braved the weather and got to church this morning. Uh, I'm pretty sure, I don't know the details, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I'm pretty sure there are a whole bunch more people who've chosen to watch from home this morning, so we're glad you're at least with us, if not in person, but at least in spirit. Uh, I know that there are a bunch of people that are sick at the moment. Uh, Lisa, up in Sunday school, has had to kind of you know, pull people and ask people and, and, and kind of cry out for help. Uh, my wife is up in Sunday school this morning. I know there are a whole bunch of teachers off sick. Uh, and so if you are sitting out there going, you know what, I've never been asked to be a Sunday school volunteer, consider this your official invitation. Uh, Lisa would love to have a couple of extra volunteers. You know, when we say, hey, help out in Sunday school, a lot of people kind of have this vision that, well, that means I have to teach. No, not at all. Uh, in most of the classes, Lisa, as the children's pastor, tries to put together really a team in the classroom. So there are, yes, there's somebody who teaches the material, but then there are those who assist and help out with the kids and just keep an eye and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and really, you don't need a lot of training for that. Yes, we will get a police clearance check, of course, because we're working with children. Uh, but honestly, there is plenty of space for everyone to help out. So if you're interested in that, chat with Lisa. You know, this morning, as I was driving through the church, I, I was very thankful as I drove along 20th Avenue, just past all the soccer fields, I was very thankful that today I was not climbing out the car to go and watch a soccer game. Uh, you know, Sundays typically is the girls' soccer, Saturday is the boys' soccer, uh, and so as I drove past on 20th, there were cars lining up and people slowly climbing out in this miserable weather, getting out to obviously go and try and be excited uh, to watch their kids' soccer in the rain, which, which is, is a hard ask for anybody on a day like today. Uh, but as I was kind of thinking about Soccer. I've spent many a Saturday on the side of a cold, wet field watching my son. You will know that my son plays soccer. Uh, so watching him and his team play soccer. And so over the years of watching these boys play, it's always fascinating to me. Because as the boys develop, every now and then, it's almost like they think they're suddenly superstars and they're better than really what they are. Uh, and so they, they decide, well, you know, today I'm going to try this Ronaldo trick 
or I'm going to try and be like messy, uh, and I'm going to get past 10 defenders, you know, no problem. Uh, and they think they're really skilled. And then they, of course, discover they're really not. And it's on those days that typically they either lose or they just do really terribly. And then they come back to practice, and then the coach has to remind them, listen, guys, just stick to the basics. Stop trying to get all fancy. Stop trying to do all these weird things. Stop trying to do just all this crazy stuff. Just stick with the basics. Pass the ball in triangles. Slowly move it up the field. Have somebody up in the box assist one another, and, and you'll actually score. Two weeks ago, the, my son's team did that. They stuck to basics. They just worked on passing uh, and communicating, and they won 5-0 just by sticking with the basics. And so I, I kind of want to keep that thought in mind this morning as we go into Scripture and as we get uh, continue in our journey through Acts, as we continue of the gospel on the ground. Uh, with that idea of back to basics, that idea of sticking with the basics. Uh, you know, some of you might know that today, as the last Sunday of October, is Reformation Sunday. The 31st of October is not only Halloween. It is not only the time that we give out copious amounts of candy to our neighborhood children. Uh, and I really hope that you will join one of those four stations tomorrow night just to kind of connect, be out in the community, and, and kind of share some of White Rock Baptist Church's love and concern for our community. But, but we don't only do that. The 31st of October, 1517, was the date that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Castle Wittenberg. And that was basically where Martin Luther kind of went, hold on, there are a whole bunch of things in the church that we're just, we're not getting right. We've gotten distracted. We need to get back to basics. And so he took that and he nailed that up on the church door. And you might kind of wonder, well, why did he do that? What, what was he getting at? Well, the church of the day had lost the plot. The church of the day had started to veer way away from Scripture. And we're practicing all sorts of things that we clearly don't find in Scripture. One of the big things of the day was that the church taught that if you wanted to be assured of your salvation and you wanted to be saved, you could pay for that salvation. And so they were selling what they called indulgences. And the church realized that, you know what, if we sell only because of the living, we only make X number of, of you know, X amount. But if we sell on behalf of the dead, we can make a whole lot more. And so people bought into this idea that, well, you know what, my, my uncle, he wasn't really such a good guy. You know, he had a bit of a temper, and he could be a bit rude, and, and I'm a little worried that he's not with Jesus in heaven because he wasn't a good guy. And so the church kind of taught, well, you know, if you pay, we can pray for him. We can speed up his process through purgatory. We'll get him into heaven. And so people did that. People were paying for the salvation. And Martin Luther kind of, as he wrestled with this and as he wrestled with his own internal struggle, Luther kind of records in his journals how he struggled with the, the weight of his own sin. And he kind of realized, I'm a sinner. There's no reason for me to be welcomed into the presence of God. It doesn't matter how much we pay. It doesn't matter how much I pray. You know, I, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. And even as a priest in the church, he wrestled with this and he struggled with this. 
In fact, it was only when he started reading, particularly the book of Romans, that he discovered, wait just a minute here. It doesn't matter about me. It's not about what I do. It's not about what I've done. The work is all done for us in Jesus Christ on the cross. Christ has paid the price for my sin. And if I accept by faith, well, then I'm justified. I'm saved. And, and this just transformed and revolutionized Luther. It gave him such joy. It gave him this happiness to realize, wait a minute, I, I don't have to live in fear. And so Luther kind of looked at that and went, hey, the church is mistaken. Let's get back to basics. Of course, we know the history because power is very difficult to give up once you have it. And it's very difficult to kind of change your tune when you're giving, uh, when people are paying you and all of that. And so that's what led to really the Protestant movement as we protested the work of the church. And here we are more than 500 years later. And I wonder if sometimes we need to reawaken that sense of getting back to basics. If we need to, in a sense, reform again. Because it feels like the church, every generation, sort of heads off in these weird directions and, and tries to do these weird things. When Scripture calls us, just get back to basics. So that's what we're doing this morning as we continue in our series through the book of Acts, as we continue uh, this, this series called The Gospel on the Ground. And as we've been journeying through the book of Acts, it's been looking at this idea that God, by His Holy Spirit, awakens the early Christians, the early church, and sends them out. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to the furthest reaches of the world. And in the beginning portion of Acts, we see the witnesses in Jerusalem as they testify, as they share, and then slowly but surely, they spread out. But of course, as they spread out and as they proclaim salvation in Christ, there's this conflict. The church of the day says, no, no, we, uh, you're, you're messing with our power here. You're taking away our followers. This, we don't like this. And so there's this conflict enters into it. And slowly, this early fledgling movement, these, these followers of Christ discover persecution. So much so that when Timothy preaches, it wasn't Timothy. Yes, it was. Sorry. My brain went, woo, I'm reading the book of Timothy. So much so that as he preaches and as he proclaims Christ and he looks up and he says, I see Christ. And the early church, the Jews go, this is blasphemy. There's no ways. And they stone him. But we read in Acts that as they're stoning him, so they're laying their cloaks at the feet of a guy named Saul. And Saul is this person who is, he's got letters from the governor, he's got letters from the authorities, he can go and arrest, he can persecute, he can put people in jail who follow, and he can authorize their, their deaths. But then as we read last week, as Jennifer went through that, God goes, no, I have a plan for you, Saul. You're going to be my voice. You're going to be my mouthpiece to the rest of the world, to the Gentile nation. And we read of uh, Saul's conversion, and obviously we know that Saul is Paul. It's, it's, it's the same guy, the same name. And so for the rest of the scripture, we hear about Paul. And as Paul is, is taken over by this understanding of the gospel and this understanding of what God is doing across the globe, Paul becomes the mouthpiece 
that one who was persecuting, that one who was so violent against is now fully in. And if we read sort of the next couple of chapters, we see Paul starting to take these missionary journeys, starting to move out and to take the gospel. And we get into Acts chapter 13, and and it's it's a fascinating passage because in Acts 13, we read Paul's very first sermon. Now, I don't know about you, but but if we're going to read somebody throughout Scripture, particularly throughout the New Testament, who has a lot to say, then surely we need to know what does he start with? Because that's got to be the basics. That's got to be the fundamental of our faith. And this is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 13. Now, Acts 13 is a pretty lengthy passage, so this morning I'm not going to read Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read two verses a little while later from Acts 13, but I just want to kind of give you an overview of this passage, of what takes place in Acts chapter 13. In the sort of earlier verses around verse 13 uh, and a couple of verses after that, we read that Paul's missionary journey is not going as planned. It's like there's resistance. They, they want to go one place and they cannot go there. And, and as they go off and, and as they eventually get into Perga, uh, things go badly there and John Mark leaves them. Now, we don't know what happened. We don't know the cause of why Mark left. Uh, but this becomes a serious problem later on in Acts. In fact, later on in Acts, Paul and Barnabas separate over Mark. And as an aside, I kind of chuckle at that because I think often we read through and we read about these great men of faith and we're kind of like, oh, we should be like them, but we forget that they were human just like us. They had disagreements just like us. So much so that Paul and Barnabas, when they spoke about Mark, Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them and Paul goes, no, no, he left us a little while ago. He's dead to me. I don't want him. And so the two of them separate. But thankfully, we read in Paul in later letters that him and Mark were reconciled. And Paul refers to Mark as this dear, trustworthy, dependable brother in Christ. But, but they start off with conflict, and, and there's this challenge as they're traveling. And we read there that they travel from Perga to Pisidian Antioch, and, and it's a dangerous trip. In fact, that journey, historically, we know that that route was filled with with bandits and robbers, and there was always uh, people getting mugged and robbed along the way as they had to uh, cross the mountain range. Some scholars even believe that in that journey, Paul himself got sick, and that would have made the trip even more difficult. Uh, But they arrive, and eventually, by the grace of God, get to Pisidian Antioch, and Paul does what he always does. Paul goes to the synagogue. That's the first place he goes, to the local synagogue. Now, I'm reminded of when I was a child. I don't know if this maybe happened here, but I have definite memories of this taking place in church in South Africa. And basically, if you were in church and someone with a name in the church circle visited your church, The pastor would stand up and say, hey, today we've got so-and-so visiting with us. Uh, Do you have any words to share? And that person would get up and come on stage, and they would bring a word. Uh, You know, we don't do that these days because we never know what someone's going to say. 
and, and it's always a concern. I was at uh, the, the leadership prayer breakfast on Friday, hosted by Grace Point Community Church, uh, and, and which they have every year. It's always a great time. But they always invite kind of the mayor up who has a part to play and various politicians who have a part to play. And, and of course, we do that. It's, we're giving them honor. We're respecting them. We're praying for them, so that's fine. But you can kind of almost sense that little bit of tension in the room when this person gets up to speak because they've been given a mandate but you know what it's like when you give a politician a microphone you don't know what's coming well it's the same in church if you give a pastor a microphone you don't know what's coming so so nowadays we don't but they do that for paul and of course, they do that for good reason, because Paul had studied under Gamaliel, one of the most known, wisest Jewish teachers of the day. So the church is going, hey, here's Paul. This guy's learned. This guy's a wise, a smart individual, and he's here in our midst. Let's ask him, does he have anything to say? And of course, Paul does. And Paul begins in verse 17 and a few verses onwards, Paul begins with the history of Israel. And I always find this fascinating. Paul is in a synagogue filled with Jewish people, and he gives them the history of Israel. They all know the history of Israel. They've studied this. They've memorized this. They know this. But Paul begins with this history. He starts with the exodus and the journey from Egypt. He speaks about the times of the judges. He goes into the first two kings of Israel and, and points out how David had a heart after God. And as he's sharing this, you and I might kind of go, what a waste of time. Paul, just get to the point. They all know that. But I think what Paul is doing here is he's showing us a, a brilliant strategy when we're invited to share, when we're invited to speak into somebody's life, Paul teaches us that sometimes the best place to start is in that place of commonality. What do we have in agreement? What do we have in common with one another? And so Paul does that. Paul speaks about this Jewish history, this heritage that they have together. And, and as he begins with that, he then moves into Jesus, the promised Messiah. And Paul talks about John the Baptist leading the way for Jesus as this Messiah who the Jews have been waiting for. And of course, that congregation or that audience, many would not have agreed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they would have agreed that a Messiah was promised. There was an, a Messiah to come. And so Paul is kind of saying, yeah, this is who the Messiah is. The Messiah is Jesus. And, and right into Jesus' name. Jesus' Hebrew name would have been Yeshua, which literally means the Lord is salvation. And Paul is speaking about Yeshua, and Paul is saying, here is the Messiah, here is our salvation. Jesus' death and his resurrection, they were prophesied. That, that was God's plan. That wasn't just men deciding, well, we don't like this rabble-rouser, we don't like the message he's teaching or speaking about, so we're going to get rid of him. No, this was God's plan. God knew that humanity in its sin and in its separation from God, the Father would do this. But God also knew that in order for humanity, for mankind to be reconciled to God, that sin had to be covered. And so Paul speaks about how that sin is covered in Jesus Christ. And he talks about how Jesus died. 
But not only did Jesus die, Jesus came back to life. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus appeared to many. And then after he'd appeared to many, Jesus ascended back to the throne. Jesus ascended back to his royal and rightful place as God over all things. You know, often when we speak about the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, we stop at the fact that Jesus died for our sins. And of course, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That is part of the gospel message. Jesus died for our sins. But Jesus didn't stay there. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose back to life. And in that process of raising back to life, he shows us not only does he have the power to forgive sins, but he has the power to give life. And we can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And really what Paul's doing over there is he's just giving the context. He's just giving the background. That's the introduction to his sermon. And I wonder if some in the crowd weren't starting to get a little bit like, uh-oh, where's he going? Like that's, that's just the introduction to his sermon. And then Paul preaches his sermon. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 13, and I'm going to read from verse 38. It's just two verses. It won't be on the screen. This is Paul's sermon. Simple little two-verse sermon. From verse 38, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. This is Paul's sermon. It's a simple two-point sermon. And Paul begins with this idea that forgiveness of sins is found in Jesus Christ. We know this to be true when we read the rest of Scripture. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. If you want forgiveness, if you want to find that freedom, that peace, that, that struggle that Luther was wrestling with to say, how do I find peace? How do I find forgiveness? Jesus says, it is through me. And of course, we need the forgiveness of sins. You see, one of the reasons why Luther wrestled with that was because Luther understood fully the holiness of God. Luther understood that God is infinitely and eternally holy. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God. Sin in the presence of God is going to be destroyed and wiped out. It doesn't have time. It doesn't get to hang out. And so Luther understood bearing sin, being one in sin, he could not enter into that presence. And so as he read through the book of Romans, he was reminded of Paul's first sermon. Jesus offers the forgiveness of sins. And in our forgiven state, we can enter into the presence of God. How or why? Well, that's the second point of this simple sermon. We are justified. And Paul says it plainly and clearly. There is forgiveness of sins and we are justified. Now, you've heard me say that justification is quite a, a, quite a simple term, really. 
It's, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justified means. It's just as if I'd never sinned. So when God looks at me, He doesn't see sinner. He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, I am justified. You know, another part of that word, we don't always touch on it because it, we wrestle with the concept, but part of that idea of being justified is I'm seen as holy. And that's a scary thought because I know me. Now, of course, Paul understands that. And later on in Romans, he talks about how we're always going to wage war with the flesh. The things that we know we shouldn't do, well, those are the things we want to do. But just because I want to and just because I'm prone to sin, that does not make me a sinner anymore. I am justified in Jesus Christ. I am forgiven. And we try to complicate things. We humans love to complicate things. We read Paul's sermon and we go, no, this is a little too easy. There's not enough work. There's not enough effort for us. I need to be able to check off the checklist of the things I've done. But yet, Scripture makes it clear. The basics of our salvation, the basics of the gospel, there is forgiveness of sins. We need to get back to the basics. Famously, in July of 1961, Vince Lombardi kicked off the first day of training camp uh, for the 38 players on his Green Bay Packers football team. The prior season for the Green Bay Packers had ended in a heartbreaking loss to the Philadelphia Eagles after blowing a lead in the fourth quarter of the NFL championship game. So when the players came to the start of their training camp in the new season, the new year, they expected to begin where they left off. They expected to continue with all these fancy plays and these trick plays and all these challenges. Some of you know the story. The story is told that Vince Lombardi opened up his bag and he pulled out a football. And he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And he proceeded for the rest of the season to drill into them the basics of the game. The basics of tackling, the basics of defense, the basics of offense. And of course, famously, they won that championship cup that year 37-0 against the New York Giants. In fact, under Lombardi, he never coached a losing team again, sorry, a losing season again, having won the Super Bowl multiple times. In fact, he won it five times in seven years. Do not underestimate the importance of the basics. Do not underestimate the importance of focusing on the fundamentals. Because that's what Paul does here. Paul doesn't complicate it. Paul speaks about the history. Paul introduces Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, why did Jesus come? For the forgiveness of sins and for justification. That's it. That's all we need to know. That's what we need to do. We need to simply respond in faith to that gift. And of course, Paul understands. He knows. He's had experience because he was, uh, he was a critic and skeptical as well previously. So he knows what's going to happen with the crowds. And, and the rest of the chapter of Acts chapter 13, Paul warns the crowd. Paul warns those listening to him, don't fulfill the prophecy of those who will reject this message. 
Don't be those who do not listen. Don't be those who reject salvation in Jesus Christ because those who reject salvation will perish. Those who reject that gift of salvation in Christ will be separated eternally from the presence of God. Scriptures refer to that as hell. It doesn't matter about your theology of a literal hell or what the fire is like or what any of that is like. The Bible makes it very clear. Eternity apart from God is not a good thing. It's not where you want to be. And Paul says, don't be those people who reject. And it's fascinating as we read through. Because actually, in those closing verses of Acts chapter 13, there are four responses. How will you respond to this message, this salvation in Jesus Christ? When encountering God's work, uh, God's word, Paul says there are some who want to hear more. In fact, we read that, that after Paul preached this sermon and as he sat down, when people dismissed, there were a bunch who came to him and said, Paul, we would hear more of this. Please tell us more. Let us hear more. Come and preach some more. The scriptures tell us there were many who were saved by that. There were many who wanted to hear more. But there were also those who wanted to create conflict. There were those who were jealous of this crowd. There were those who were jealous of the fact that people were listening to Paul. We read in, in verses 46 to 48, uh, sorry, in verses 45 to 46, that the next Sabbath, when they all gathered, almost the whole town came. That church was packed to overflowing. People wanted to hear this message. But in the middle of that crowd, there were those who were in conflict. There were those who were jealous and those who argued with Paul. Those who tried to destroy his reputation. But there were also those who believed and who followed and accepted Jesus Christ. Paul didn't lose sleep over those who, who, who were jealous of him. Paul didn't lose sleep over those who wanted to create conflict and tension. Paul was speaking to those who heard the word and who received the gospel message. Paul understood his role was simply to preach, simply to proclaim. And Paul didn't even at this stage fully understand all that God was going to do through him to the entire world and the nations. Paul simply looked for opportunities to preach. And there were those who accepted and those who rejected and I, I, I love the image at the end of Acts chapter 13. In the second last verse of Acts chapter 13, as they're moving on, as the Holy Spirit starts to lead them to go elsewhere, there's this image of the apostles shaking the dust off their feet. I, I could just imagine them standing there with those dusty, sandaled feet, kind of going, buff, buff. Not quite saying that, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore, for those who get that reference. But they just shake the dust off. They're like, our job is done. We've proclaimed the gospel. We've spoken about forgiveness and justification in Christ. And I love verse 52. Acts 13 verse 52 simply says, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That was Martin Luther's deepest desire. Luther wanted to experience joy. Luther wanted to experience happiness regardless of what was going on, regardless of the circumstances around him. And for the longest time, he could not. 
He was in anguish. He was in turmoil. But once he understood the gospel message, once he understood that he was justified before God because of the work of Jesus Christ, once he had accepted that by faith alone, he could walk with joy, being filled with the Holy Spirit, because he knew the work was done. My brothers and sisters, I don't know where you are in response to that gospel message. Some of you might be sitting here this morning going, Brian, that is the simplest message I've ever heard in my life. We wanted some Greek. We wanted some Hebrew. Maybe next week. I think Paul would echo, the gospel is a simple message. Let's not convolute it. Let's not complicate it. Let's not add a whole bunch of things to it. But when we get opportunity, let's simply present the simple gospel. There is salvation for sins and justification in Jesus Christ. It is that simple. Let's pray together. Jesus, when we read your word, when we hear sermons like this, that first sermon of Paul, Jesus, so often we, we want it to be complicated. We want it to have all these extra steps. We want it to have these rules for us to follow, these things to do. But yet, Lord, when we read Scripture, we realize that no. Salvation is your work. Jesus, you paid the price that needed to be paid. There is nothing we add, there is nothing we bring, there is nothing we contribute other than our own sin. So I thank you for Paul and for this example and this opportunity when invited to speak, he chose to simply proclaim the simple gospel. Jesus, I pray for each person in this room this morning. I know many have heard that gospel message and received and accepted it. Their names are written in your book of life. Father, I pray that this morning they would once again be filled with joy and the Holy Spirit in that good news. And that perhaps they would look for opportunities to share that gospel message. Oh, Father, for those who perhaps are still wrestling perhaps even on the verge of rejecting or maybe even outright rejection. Oh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir again in their heart, that they would hear and receive, and they too would find joy in Jesus Christ. God, thank you for this incredible gift of grace. In your name we pray. Amen.